This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Cats at night. Now here's John Katsimatidis. We got a Brooklyn guy on the phone with us all the way calling in. Hey, Brooklyn guy calling in all the way from Israel. One of my favorite lawyers, Tell Professor him Alan Dershowitz, leading constitutional lawyer in the country, Harvard Law School emeritus, a leading voice in the support of Israel. Professor, how are you today? I'm great. You know, when I walk around Tel Aviv, sometimes I think it's Brooklyn. A lot of people with Brooklyn accents here. <laughs> are you ever going to come back? We want you I'm back. Coming back, I'm coming back on Thursday night. I have to be in a conference all day. Thursday, I've met everybody important in Israel, the president, the prime minister, the heads of intelligence, the heads of the Air Force, the heads of you name it. I met everybody. Well, we, we want you here in the office. We want you to meet everybody important on Third Avenue. Sure. Sure. I'm sure. lighting the menorah we'll next week. Are you coming? Uh, are you going to come uh, helping? i from menorah. I, I'll, I'll make the blessings. I can. I used to be a choir boy. So well, it was me and me. It would be me, you, yeah. uh, Rabbi Butman, and Sidney Rosenberg. Sure. All I right. went last year. Right. It, was, it was so crowded there last year. Yeah, you couldn't I just even hope get it's not close to it. Uh, below to freezing. It. When you get up there, 59 feet in the air. You know, walking here from, from the garage before I passed by the tree, you cannot walk on the streets. The sidewalks, even the streets, they closed a few of the streets. I've never seen it like this. This is even before COVID, I don't think it was this crowded. Well, Professor. It's, it's 70, 72 degrees here in, in Israel, and I'm getting ready to sing the menorah song. So get ready to hear my voice. So you're going to have to listen to that when we light the candles, right? Give give us the hot news of the day. I mean, uh, they arrested this guy in uh, Bahamas, uh, the guy from Twitter. What do you you want to talk about? Well, let's talk about that case. Let's talk about the the case of this, you know, young man, this wonderkind who uh, was worth, I don't know, $32 billion uh, on cryptocurrency. And now, uh, you know, he's he's uh, uh, being extradited to the United States. His parents are being investigated. They're both law professors at Stanford. The New York Times has a headline basically saying the government said this thing was a fraud right from the beginning. You know, the guy is presumed innocent. I haven't seen the evidence yet. Just because the New York Times and the prosecutor says somebody's guilty you can't jump to conclusions. Something went wrong. That's clear. Something went wrong. The question is, was it a fraud from the beginning? Did he really have something and then it went bad and he didn't uh, quickly enough uh, recover? Uh, These are hard questions that have to be decided based on evidence. But, you know, people love to see young kids who have made it big fall. And I'm just not ready to jump on that bandwagon yet. I just want to see the evidence. Yes, Alan, it's, it's Richard Weinberg. They have they had an eight count indictment, you know, yeah. uh, wire fraud, mail fraud, uh, campaign finance yeah. fraud, 
So securities fraud, money laundering, money laundering, money laundering. and you know, the SEC also filed an action as right, well. But that's typical. You know, when the government comes after you, it could be one simple act and they could make it wire fraud, conspiracy to wire fraud, money laundering. They multiply the offenses over and over again. I've had cases like that uh, repeatedly. Now, I'm not saying the guy's innocent. I just don't know. But I'm not going to jump to a conclusion based on a New York Times headline or based on an indictment. An indictment is simply a piece of paper that a grand jury signed at the request of prosecutors. As we all know, a grand jury will indict a ham sandwich. It's merely an accusation. You're absolutely correct, Professor. It's an accusation. That's all it is. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's true. And something went wrong with this company. There's no doubt about that. And a lot of people got hurt. But this guy, I don't think this guy is Madoff. He doesn't sound to me like Madoff. He lived a simple life. He was into altruistic charities. I don't know. I want to give him the yeah, benefit of the doubt. Yeah, but he's a, lot, like he's a very, very smart guy. And, and, yeah. and, and, and too, too much money involved. I, I, I can't believe uh, that kind of money was involved and that yeah. this guy plays the... But, the Plays the game that he's so very simple. Yeah, no, I agree with you. But does anybody on the show, we have, you know, brilliant people in your panel. Does anybody understand what cryptocurrency really is? Do we know what, I mean, it seems to me. It's make your own I'm money, isn't it? Person. I have no idea how private people go around creating money. The Constitution says that, you know, money is created by Congress. They're the ones who allow, you know, dollar bills to be printed. But, but, but uh, who was the guy from Barlam and Bailey says a fool is born every day? Yeah, and, uh, right. Yeah, well, but people made a lot of money. People just made a lot of money. Well, if and, they and got out in time. Right, right. It's musical chairs. While the music What's is the playing, definition of a Ponzi scheme? If, if, you got to be in you got to be out. If, well, the music is playing. If you don't uh, get a seat. Right. So let me ask you a question. What concerned me is why this arrest now on the cusp of him supposedly testifying before Congress? Is that just a coincidence? Yeah, that was that was surprising. Now, was he really going to testify in person, or was no, he going to no, by, do Zoom, by Zoom, by Zoom, by Zoom, by Zoom. right? Yeah, yeah. The so, word last night you know, at the party I was at it was they didn't want him to testify because uh, of what he might might, uh, might say. But he can still testify. I mean, he'll get bail. There's no doubt. I mean, he'll get bail. Uh, he's not going to be a flight risk. He didn't try to resist arrest. He lives in, in in the Bahamas. So, you know, I think he'll get bail. And if he gets bail, he can testify. And he's going to say what he has to say. His lawyers may say, no, don't testify. Plead the fifth now because you're under indictment. And we don't want to give the prosecution uh, ammunition. Um, That's the right so, advice, don't you think? It, you know, it all depends on what he has to say. That's generally the right advice. But, um, you know, if he's totally, totally innocent, maybe, maybe he should testify. I, I you know, you, you can't second guess a lawyer's advice unless you know what the lawyer knows. And we don't know what the lawyer knows. So uh, we don't know what the client has told them. And, you know, not every client tells every lawyer the truth. You know, when when I meet a client for the first time, they say, oh, I'm so totally innocent. I'm wonderful. I should be nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. You know, the second meeting, no, 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 no Nobel Peace Prize, but I'm innocent. The third meeting, well, I didn't do this one, although I've done others. 
And, you know, at the fourth meeting, I did it, and let's get a deal. So you never know what a client's going to tell you and whether it's the truth or not. And you know what, Professor? We really didn't even know what the facts are here. Like the U.S. attorney earlier said that he stole millions and millions of dollars from his customers and used it on his own personal um, expenditures. So I think a lot's going to come out, and then at that point I think we discuss uh, what's true and what's not true and what will happen to him. I agree with you. He certainly didn't have a lot of good taste in clothing. Or a haircut. Or a haircut. That's right. He saved a lot of money on haircuts and clothes. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. He's not. Madoff was very different. And Madoff, I'll never forget a meeting I had with Ellie Wiesel, who was my dear friend. And Ellie had tears in his eyes because Madoff had come to him and said, look, I don't usually take, you know, money from foundations, but you're such a great man that I'm willing to let you invest money from your humanitarian foundation in my great fund, which is always going to have a 12% return. And Ellie did it, and he was so upset, and uh, he lost so much money, not for himself as much as for the foundation. Fortunately, he got about 70% of it back uh, from that really good person, who I forget his name, was appointed by the court to get it back. And I think he got about 70% back. But, you know, Madoff just preyed on people, made up stories. It was a complete and total Ponzi scheme. It was nothing there. Whereas, I don't know, I'm, I'm waiting to hear more about this kid. Maybe maybe I'll be persuaded, but maybe I'm not. So uh, I think everybody should keep an open mind. I think everybody should keep an open mind anytime somebody is in, indicted, unless the evidence is just so overwhelming as it sometimes is. Let me ask you this. Have you been following the uh, whole situation with Musk and uh, the let's, revelations let's coming out of e- Elon Musk. Oh, I mean, that God. is a lot of stuff over there. What do you think about that? Oh, it's amazing. Well, first of all, you got to give Barry Weiss a lot of credit. She has turned up a lot of this information, and I think it's the tip of the iceberg. I think we're going to see real evidence that uh, government agents intruded on the decisions uh, of social media and told them, you know, what to censor, what not to censor in an effort to basically circumvent the First Amendment. Government can't censor, but if it tells private people to censor, the question is, is that government censorship or is it private censorship? And, you know, it starts with some stuff that you can understand. Don't they become state actors in in that case? They become state actors, but, you know, you can imagine if there's medical information. During COVID, they're putting out stuff saying, you know, masks don't work at all. You should go into crowded places. You can see how the government would have at least an interest in preventing the spread of that kind of information. Maybe it's protected by the First Amendment, maybe not. But stuff about politics, stuff that will influence elections, no way the government has the right to in any way put a thumb on the scale of the decisions by social media. And that's a real issue and a real danger. Well, like we, we talked about it yesterday, it's not only what was going on with Twitter. It's at the same time, Facebook guy Zuckerberg put up $400 million, $419 million, somebody reminded me, in five states. I mean, between Twitter and, and Facebook. Uh, to chase uh, up and, the votes. And, 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 to chase up the votes. I mean, it, it had to affect the election somehow. Yeah, but, you know, there's no remedy for that. I mean, it's not like... No, it's over. It's I mean, we know, we all know it. And, and no, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I've said it. The, the Democrats are street fighters. They they know how to 
to win, and the Republicans on on our well, red coats. Look, look at today's New York Times. It has an interesting story saying in the midterm elections, where the Republicans did not win, you know, they didn't take over the Senate, and they barely won the House. That the Republicans got many more votes from the Democrats. They just didn't get them in the right places. So, you know, neither party it seems to me are brilliant in terms of converting votes in our complicated democratic system into results. So um, we see it on both sides. But uh, the big issue, uh, look, I remember the big I issue, was one of the lawyers in Bush versus Gore and the Republicans had a killer instinct in that case and the Democrats didn't. So, you know, you, sometimes one party, sometimes another party. Yeah, the big issue is that the Republicans don't seem to be up to speed in terms of the early voting. They discourage their people from doing early voting and just showing up on Election Day, whereas the Democrats really harvest those votes. And absentee voting as well. I mean, when I was the chairman in Brooklyn, um, the Democrats had an absentee process where they they would get those absentee ballots out and they would make sure they came back in. And and the Republicans— You know, I don't like like absentee voting. I don't like early voting. I like going to the polls with your children— Make it a big day. Take them in. Show them what it means to be an American and to vote. If you're, if you're, if they should have, sure. Or if you're in the army, sure. But I I don't think voting should be done over a month long period. I I agree. Uh, I agree. There's two. You know, if you're going to do early voting, you should do the the worst case scenario: Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the other thing, by the way, about early voting: look what happened in the Fetterman. Oz race in Pennsylvania. They had a debate a few days before. More than half the votes had already been cast in the early voting. A few hundred thousand votes have already been cast, and they didn't realize the guy was unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. But but you know what? Even worse than that, Professor, some states have it where your early ballot, when you're mailing it back, as long as it gets in before the end of the day on election day, then that's acceptable. I mean, that's just rife with fraud. Because you're, yeah, you're in some small town, you're in some small town, and you see the vote is not going in your way, you grab a couple of thousand people and make sure they get their votes delivered before 5 o'clock. Okay. There's yeah. been bipartisan studies. The yeah. Bipartisan studies showing that mail-in voting is uh, rife with fraud. Yeah. Yeah. Professor yeah, Alan Dershowitz, thank I'm you. I'm involved in on that. Yeah, good. Thank, thank you, you so hey. much, and God bless you, and uh, uh, and come you. back from Israel safe. We miss you in you New will. York. <laughs> and, we'll uh, see you next week. So we'll talk to you and see you next week. And right now we're going to take a break, and when we come back, I think we're going to have John McLaughlin and his new polls out. What, are, what the heck is old polls going to tell us? Well, we'll find out after the break. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.